Hey, Danny. How are you? Oh, I'm recovering from the Bravo Super Bowl that happened last night. Scandaval. <gasps> oh, I didn't watch it yet. Was it everything you wanted it to be? It was pretty good. It was pretty good. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I watched it from one fifteen to 2, and I watched the whole thing. I watched the episode, and I watched the Watch What Happens Live interview with Ariana Maddox after. Ooh. I, I, you know, I was waiting after the episode ended. I was like, okay, like I should go to bed. It's very late. But then, but then I had to know. I had to know what Ariana's thoughts were. Mm-hmm. Um, Bravo's excellent. Bravo is just excellent. And I, know. I would also like to say they have three new shows coming out that I'm excited for. I'm excited for all of them. They have this like ballroom dancing show, the Summer House Martha's Vineyard show, mm-hmm. and the reboot of Roni. I mean, they are just killing the game. I will say, I do think we should do an episode on Bravo at some point because I feel like it is underrated by a lot of people for being like deeply unserious content. <laughs> but the thing is, like, they are killing it. And by the way, I've started watching Summerhouse Martha's Vineyard, or as I like to call it, mm-hmm. Black Summerhouse. Right. <laughs> and, and um and Black Summerhouse is it's off to a, a strong start. It's off to a strong start. So yeah, I think at some point we should cover that business because they're they're doing the Lord's work out here. Hello and welcome to Not Another Business Podcast, where we break down business news and cultural events according to rules we've entirely made up. I'm KJ Miller, ex-corporate consultant and current CEO and co-founder of Minted Cosmetics. And I'm Daniela Dektar-McCarthy, ex-corporate lawyer and current general counsel at Ness. And fun fact, KJ and I have been friends since our Harvard acapella days because we are that cool, folks. Disclaimer before we start the show, the views we express today are our own and not those of our companies. Today, we are talking about the Disney Corporation. Disney reported its second quarter financial results last week, largely a mixed bag. And the CEO, Bob Iger, is signaling more changes to the Disney Plus streaming platform, which was the biggest contributor to losses for the company. And on top of that, the company is embroiled in an intense legal and political battle with Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida. And it probably has huge consequences for how Disney will operate its theme park, Disney World. Yeah, I gotta say, I am looking forward to this episode so you can help me understand what the hell is happening (laughs) (laughs) Uh, with Disney and um, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis because... Their names keep popping up in the news. They're embroiled in this battle. I've read a little bit about it, but frankly, I'm a little bit confused. Mm -hmm. Um, So looking forward to understanding the facts there. And then, yeah, it seems like this last week, we've been hearing more and more about Disney because of some of the changes they're making and things they're proposing for their media and their streaming services. So I don't know. It feels like Disney's um, in a little bit of an, an entanglement to use Jada Pinkett Smith's word. Uh, <laughs> and I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm just interested. Like, what is going on over there? Yeah. You know, it would it would hurt my soul to bet against Disney. So I'm going to preview my verdict. I, I have faith <laughs> that they'll get out of this. Mm-hmm. But I do think we should, you know, do our duty of breaking down the facts before we actually make that judgment. So after our shameless plug, we'll get into it. 
KJ and I have neither the time nor the desire to chase down advertisers, so we like to use this segment to plug our own projects. KJ, what are you plugging? As always, I am plugging Minted Cosmetics. Minted is short for pigmented. We create everyday beauty for every hue. We launched with our original line of nude lipsticks, still our best-selling category. Since then, we have you know, expanded into every major color cosmetics category, including foundation, concealer, brow, blush, bronzer, all made with your melanin in mind. If you are tired of feeling like beauty brands aren't speaking to you and aren't celebrating you, I promise you, you will feel seen and celebrated and prioritized when you visit mintedcosmetics.com and the code NABP will get you 20% off your order. So check us out today. And with that, let's get back to the show. Right, it's time for Flashback Friday. As a reminder, this is our segment where we take a look back at an old episode and give you a quick update. KJ, what are we flashing back to today? Well, we are flashing back to a flashback of a flashback. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're talking about AI once again because Sam Altman, the founder and CEO of OpenAI, which as you all should know, um, is the company behind ChatGPT, was in a congressional hearing this week. Uh, so they had a hearing over in DC in order to essentially try to figure out how in the world Congress is going to regulate um, AI, artificial intelligence, in a way that keeps it from essentially destroying humanity. As we spoke about, <laughs> as we spoke about in our last flashback Friday on AI, we're a little skeptical that these folks in Congress know enough to functionally regulate what's going on in the world of artificial intelligence. And turns out they're skeptical too. So they are trying to get ahead of it. So they brought in Sam Altman. They also brought in a couple other folks, Christina Montgomery, IBM's chief privacy and trust officer and Gary Marcus, an MIT professor who's known for his research in the field, um, basically to ask them a bunch of questions about how in the world they can go about trying to regulate this industry. And, you know, it was a pretty interesting hearing. I would say Sam Altman's testimony was definitely the highlight. And during it, he laid out a framework for safety requirements that he thinks would work best. So basically what he proposed was that the government create an agency to issue and administer licenses for the development of large-scale AI models. This agency would develop and regularly update model evaluation requirements, safety standards, and disclosure practices. Um, he also stated that AI models should be required to undergo independent audits by experts. So, Danny, what do you make of all of this? Well, I'll first disclose that I did not watch the entire testimony because one, I have a job and two, I had the Super Bowl to watch. Okay. But I did, <laughs> I did read the testimony that um, Sam Altman submitted prior to actually, you know, attending the hearing and um, obviously some TikTok clips since. And I'll just say that the first obvious note is this did seem less about political theater than most congressional hearings mm -hmm. tend to be and more about the senators learning like what the hell they can do uh -huh. to prevent AI from being the downfall of humanity, which I guess is good. Um, but also, as we predicted in our first flashback, it seemed to evidence the that they don't understand the technology. They are behind. <laughs> yes. They are behind, mm -hmm. which makes me very fearful. 
And while I appreciate Sam Altman's um, suggestions for regulation, he he proposed a framework that we are very used to in this country. It's how we regulate financial institutions. And look how well that did to prevent the collapse of SVB, Signature Bank, and First Republic. It didn't, you know? So, right. <laughs> and those banks didn't learn Bengali in two minutes. So I just, uh, we're screwed. We're screwed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I will say my favorite moment, and this is the moment going around TikTok a lot. My favorite moment of, moment of the hearing was when Sam Altman was describing like the type of person who should play the, the role of, you know, providing oversight to this agency. And then one of the congressmen goes, so um, could you do it? <laughs> Like basically, basically was like, yes, I, I agree. We do need that job. Um, so could you do that job? And Sam was like, um, I, I like I like my current job, but, right. um, you know, like, but thank you. You know, it was very clear that he was like, oh, you are offering me a job during this hearing. Um, I can't take it. So I thought that was uh, a fun moment. Yeah. You know, I, I actually think, though. I forget if we already spoke about this, but I remember someone in talking about AI regulation sort of compared it to airplanes and how it is very difficult to be approved to fly planes in this country, right? Because like mm -hmm. there's no room for error. You can't be like, oh, we are a second rate airplane company. So half of our planes crash, right? Like it doesn't matter how budget your tickets are. It doesn't matter if you're Spirit Airlines or Frontier Airlines. You still got to fly the planes uh, correctly and land. Okay. And so I was thinking like from a regulatory perspective, Whatever it is we did in aviation, and I don't know exactly what we did, okay? But whatever it is we did over there is what we should be doing over here. It should be very difficult to get the license to mm -hmm. run um, one of these large language, uh, large AI models. It should be very difficult to run it, and there should be a ton of oversight over it. Um, and I, I think that it is possible, but I do think that that team of folks has to be staffed by actual AI experts for the most part, because they're the ones who are going to be able to understand if someone is behaving responsibly or not. And it did seem to me, just based on the testimony that I was hearing, that these congressmen um, and women are earnestly trying to understand how they can build that sort of agency up or that sort of system up. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I don't know that I think we are truly screwed. I think everyone really is starting to understand the enormity of this and hopefully we'll work quickly to stand up something that will truly protect us the way that I think you've seen aviation laws and regulations protect us. Um, did you know that Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana, this is the Senator you were referring to who was, who offered Sam Altman a job. Mm -hmm. Did you know that he was a, he's a Rhodes Scholar who went to Oxford and then was executive editor of the University of Virginia Law Review? I did not know that. So my sister told me this, and it's relevant because maybe he's not a dum-dum, and maybe mm -hmm. he was making a point. Perhaps he's suggesting that the person who would go into this role of the regulator of AI has to have a deep sense of service that is motivating them because they can otherwise make way more money right. on the private side, which is always the tension with government regulation. Right. But I think it's some it's more dire here because we are literally up against a smarter species when we're right. talking about the regulation of right. AI.
Right, right. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, and you do see it with government agencies. I had a friend recently go to work for the IRS and, you know, say what you want about the IRS. We need the IRS to function, right? Like, like we need it to function well. And we need smart people working there to get the people who are evading their taxes, which is mostly wealthy people, to pay the taxes. Everyone's better off in that scenario, right? The country is better off in that scenario. But persuading people like my friend, who was making boatloads of money in her prior job, to come and work for mm-hmm. the IRS and make far less money is not an easy thing to do. She happens to believe in the mission. She happens to be, you know, interested in the service element of it. A lot of people who could be doing those jobs do not. So I think you're right, and I think it's an up it's an uphill battle. Let's hope there are enough really smart people who also really care about the future of the world. <laughs> and would put in, you know, you know, just do a shift, do a six month right. shift. Okay. <laughs> like six months, 12 months, help, help the world out. But, um, right. yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see. Shout out to my sister for telling me not to sleep on Senator John Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Danny, it's time for our main topic. And as I mentioned, I don't know what's going on at Disney. So hit us with the facts. What is happening? All right. Well, as we said at the top, Disney is going to war on a couple fronts. The first is with their streaming services. And the second is with their biggest theme park, Disney World. All right. So let's kick it off with the streaming services. What's happening over there? Okay. So last week, their Q2 2023 financial results came out and they posted a less than expected loss of 659 million, which is good in that they beat their forecasts. Mm-hmm. But the results show that total subscribers for their streaming services are down as compared to December 2022 from 161.8 million users to 157.8 million users in April for Disney+. Plus. ESPN and Hulu, which Disney also owns, showed some increased users for the same period, but those increases did not offset the loss in subscribers for Disney+. Plus. So overall, their streaming users are down by 4 million globally. In terms of revenue for the streaming services, Disney is up because they increased subscription costs for all of their services. And it's kind of a mixed bag, you know, like Disney Plus revenue is overall up, um hulu uh streaming video on demand is down overall even though they had some increased subscribers but they had reduced advertising revenue so you can see how in their results there are a number of factors that are playing including costs subscribers ad revenue to ultimately like increase the numbers but everyone Mm -hmm. is basically very concerned about slowing growth okay all right so to sum up it sounds like Subscribers are down, but revenue is up because they've increased their prices, but people are a bit more focused on the fact that subscribers are down. Like when by people, I mean investors. So what is Mm -hmm. Disney doing about it? What are they saying about it? So CEO Bob Iger announced that they are going to offer Disney Plus and Hulu as a combined app and increase prices for their ad-free tier in the U.S. again. They haven't said yet how much the combined service will cost, but 
They just increased prices for both Disney Plus and Hulu less than a year ago. In August of last year, they increased the ad tier for Disney Plus from $7.99 to $10.99 and introduced an ad-supported tier for $7.99. At the same time, they'd increased the ad-free tier for Hulu from $12.99 to $14.99 and bumped up the ad-supported tier for Hulu from $6.99 to $7.99. So... In less than a year, they're already signaling, okay, they're going to create this new app, but they're also just going to increase prices yet again. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm curious how the street has reacted to that because I will just say in this household, our reaction was to cancel Disney and Mm -hmm. Hulu. Um, You know, we just like a lot of households have a lot of streaming platforms um, and we weren't finding that we were turning to Disney and Hulu all that often. Now that might change once Kayla reaches the age where we can watch Beauty and the Beast and Lion King and all the hits and the greats, right. um, then probably we'll be right back. But for us, we didn't think it was worth it. But I guess, you know, how's the, how's the market reacting, reacting? I think they're anticipating users like you. I mean, it, there was not a precipitous plummet. But Disney stock opened on May 10th. That was the day that the, the earnings were released. Um, stock opened at $103 per share. By open the next day, May 11th, trading price was down to 95 per share. And right now it's trading around $92 per share. Um, I'll also add that Disney now gets to deal with a pesky lawsuit that was filed two days after the earning results came out, alleging that Disney and um, some of its officers, including its former CEO, Bob Chapek um, and its former CFO engaged in a fraudulent scheme designed to hide Disney Plus costs and make forecasts that it would be profitable in 2024. Essentially, the investors are saying that um, once the pandemic hit, there was a huge shift in emphasizing um, the streaming services, which makes Uh sense. No one was going to theme parks. Um, But that in addition to just focusing on the streaming services, there was a reorg that shifted control away from creative executives and that this reorg combined with a decision to um, air certain Disney Plus originals on the legacy TV shows, Uh on the legacy TV channels, excuse me, Mm -hmm. Um, enabled Bob Chapek and other executives to attribute the costs of Disney Plus to legacy TV Mm. and basically hide how badly the streaming services were performing um, and, and pretend that the streaming services could be profitable by 2024. Right. And since Bob Iger has returned, the reporting structure um, that Bob Chapek had installed has been reversed and the costs are now being, I guess, according to these investors, appropriately attributed to street, the streaming services. And it's very clear based on the results that came out last week that there's no way there, there will be profitability achieved for the streaming services in 2024. So these investors are saying this was just a, a big, a big fraud essentially committed. Well, let me tell you, while you were (laughs) describing that, do you know what it immediately took me back to? It immediately took me back to business school. For anyone not familiar with Harvard Business School, every single course is taught via the case study method, right? Mm -hmm. Which means for every class, you are reading a case about a particular company, a particular protagonist, and then putting yourself in that person's shoes or in the shoes of the executives and asking like, what would you do? Including 
accounting. Okay. And some people yeah. would argue, would argue that that is not the way to teach accounting. And I can see both sides of it because like, do I know how to do accounting? No, I don't. Right. But do I know all about accounting trickery? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> because the cases were always about like, managers who had like done some sort of accounting thing and then we're putting ourselves in their shoes to say like was this appropriate should you have done it like this or should you have you know done it this way and the thing that it did make me realize to to harvard's credit because people don't generally come out of hbs to become accountants right so that's not what they're trying to turn us into um the thing that it did make me realize is that so much of accounting truly is judgment calls right like people mm -hmm. think of accounting as just like math and numbers and everything goes where it's supposed to go but a lot of it truly is judgment so as you were describing this i absolutely can understand being in bob chapek's shoes and his executives around the table and them saying well if we are showing these you know these original shows across the disney channel and our legacy networks then they should share in the cost right? The cost shouldn't just sit over here if the revenue is sitting across multiple channels. If the revenue sits across multiple channels, the cost should sit across multiple channels. I can absolutely see that making sense. But I can also see from the investor standpoint, no, you clearly were just trying to make it look like the streaming platform was doing better than it was from you know a fiscal perspective. I can see both sides of this. This, I promise you, will be turned into an HBS case. And, <laughs> and It'll it'll be a good one. Um, but yeah, that's that's exactly where I was taken back to. I know that was a long aside, but it just made me think I like I think that was a phenomenal aside. Yeah, I mean accounting truly is often it's it's judgment calls. But anyway, back to uh what we were discussing, which is Disney overall. So we've got a sense of what's happening in, in streaming land. Um, what's going on over in the in the parks? Right. So if you're looking at the results, you might think, well, thank God they have Disney parks because the Disney parks arm of the corporation did phenomenally in the past six months. But they are in a war, <laughs> a real war, legal, mm -hmm. political, business war with the state of Florida. This feud is a little over a year in the making. And I'm, you know, I love a history lesson. So we're going to go back just to March 2022 when Governor DeSantis signed the Parental Rights and Education Act, which some of you may know as the Don't Say Gay bill, into law. That law prohibits classroom instruction and discussion about sexual orientation and gender identity in certain elementary school grades. And at the point at which, you know, the bill was being discussed and moving through the Florida legislature, Disney was honestly pretty slow to take a position. Um, as of late February, right? So the bill was signed into law in March. As of late February, more than 150 companies like Marriott and American Airlines had signed a human rights campaign letter petition denouncing the legislation. And Disney was noticeably not one of those companies. And their silence was actually pretty significant because Disney is the biggest employer in Florida. And they also have a really long history of supporting LGBT rights and the LGBT community, right? Mm -hmm. They they hosted Gay Days in 1991, which is one of the largest pride events um, at their parks. They've provided health benefits to same-sex partners since 1995. When DOMA was being considered by the Supreme Court, Disney submitted an amicus brief to the court 
arguing that they should hold DOMA unconstitutional. So Disney has a longstanding history of speaking out on these issues. And up until February 2022, they hadn't. Media was reporting that the CEO at the time, Bob Chapik, was had preferred to take a behind-the-scenes approach of attempting to lobby to soften the legislation rather than mm-hmm. publicly involved, but this didn't work. Disney employees were pissed. They weren't having it. They started a website called whereischapic.com, calling out his lack of leadership and support of the LGBT community. Shareholders weren't having it. They were calling out Disney for continuing to fund politicians who were supporting the bill, like on the earnings call um, during Q&A. People were speaking out against Disney just being silent. Um, relatives of Disney's company's founder were speaking out. I mean, it it really, people were upset about Disney not following in a historical practice of supporting this community outwardly, publicly, early. Um, there's when actually- you say, <clears throat> when you say relatives of uh the disney you mean relatives of walt disney like a descendant like a descendant yeah yeah i don't remember the name but yeah yeah a descendant (laughs) like it was like the grandchild of you know Mm -hmm. walt walt Um, jr and them yeah and i thought this exactly (laughs) and i thought um this was just a very good phrase that i would like to use in the future to describe people who are annoying me an la times op-ed called Chapik silence as the ultimate corporate cowardice. Okay, so just not, not good. (laughs) Yeah, Um, well, and I I think that makes sense because if you have historically spoken up in defense of the LGBT community, something like this, a silence on an issue like this is going to feel pretty deafening. So it makes mm -hmm. sense to me that they're getting called out from all sides, but I guess what's what when does the feud start that right. that you're talking about? Right. So the bill passes on March 8th and that's when Disney decides to get public. <laughs> okay, so on March 9th Chapik finally expresses his disagreement publicly. He um, says during an annual shareholder meeting, um, I know that many are upset that we did not speak out against the bill. We were opposed to the bill from the outset, but we chose not to take a public position on it because we thought we could be more effective working behind the scenes, engaging directly with lawmakers on both sides of the aisle. We were hopeful that our longstanding relationships with those lawmakers would enable us to achieve a better outcome. But despite weeks of effort, we were ultimately unsuccessful. And so at this point, he, he you know, vows to donate $5 million to the human rights campaign to support LGBT groups. Um, and Disney essentially stops donations to uh, political leaders who were supporting the bill. And... Even though this was the least Disney could do, essentially, Mm -hmm. DeSantis immediately starts railing against them, calling them a, quote, woke corporation, which, as you know, on the right, woke is the worst. It's the, Mm. you know, the worst insult you can hurl. Right. Um, And DeSantis signs the bill on March 28th, but he continues to rail against Disney and say that Disney's going to pay for it. Um, On March 30th, there is a state representative who posts a tweet saying that potentially um, a bill that establishes the district that Disney World sits in should be repealed. This is called the Reedy Creek Improvement District. And now, this this is where it gets murky for me. So <laughs> what is this district? Okay. <laughs> like, what is happening here? Right. 
So essentially, Florida has the ability, the Florida legislature has the ability to create districts, like, you know, municipal zones within Mm -hmm. Florida for particular purposes. And in 1976, the Reedy Creek Improvement Act was signed by the Florida legislature, and that granted Disney a special tax status. And enables Disney to operate essentially as its own municipal government, right? So the board of, there's a board of the Reedy Creek Improvement District, and they make all the decisions in relation to that zone, right? So they make the decisions on planning and permitting. They decide what construction can occur. They levy their own taxes. They provide their own services that you would typically think would come from a government fire medical response generating their own electricity all of these things the reedy creek improvement district does not the counties the neighboring counties of florida reporting says this enables you know the company to save a ton in fees and taxes but also i mean it enables them to maintain a very pristine you know, geographic area within this mm-hmm. district. So a repeal of the district would just be, it would it would be huge. It would totally undo like how Disney operates. But that's essentially what happens in April 2022. A bill to dissolve the Reedy Creek Improvement District passes and is signed into law. What the law says is that, is that the dissolution of this district will occur in June, on June 1st of 2023, which we're, we're not there yet, right? So it's set to occur in the future. Now, in November 2022, so this is a few months after this bill is signed, Disney, the Disney board fires CEO Bob Chapek. We're like, yeah, that, no, you're done. You haven't, you haven't, you haven't been working for us. And they mm-hmm. bring back Bob Iger, who mm-hmm. had previously served as the CEO for 15 years. Um, and they say, you know, Iger, you're coming back for at least two years while we find a replacement. So now Iger's in, Chapek's out. And local officials of the neighboring counties of the Reedy Creek Improvement District are realizing what this dissolution means for them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And one of the things it means for them is some pretty bad financial consequences because it would mean that they would pick up debt that Disney has. Hmm. And it would also mean that they now have to provide additional services like fire, medical response, which they don't want to do. Right, right. So... The nearby counties are like, whoa, I know we're mad at Disney, but I don't know that we really have the capacity to like take on this burden you're now creating. So they're basically, they're getting cold feet. So they well, can push, I just, yeah, go ahead. Can I just say to that, <clears throat> it just reminds me of what everyone right now is saying about Florida in general, because as we know, Florida is doing some some real fuckery um and and as everyone is saying on social media florida is in the find out era right uh of fuck around and find out florida is is finding out um because you know they're repealing whole districts on a dime uh they are kicking out immigrants who are the backbone of their agriculture tourism and everything else that go that brings in money to that state and you know that's a whole nother issue that we should talk about but yeah that's what it makes me think i feel like these districts uh are like are finding out oh snaps you know we may we may not have thought this through um which is just funny to me yeah um 
it, it really it is like they almost don't even also know what they're doing right like they're mm-hmm. they're just <laughs> plowing through out of political anger you know which is which is interesting to watch and is an interesting topic for a podcast. Someone should cover it. Anyway, so, <laughs> so yeah, the neighboring counties are saying, hold on, we don't actually, we don't want this. And so actually there's a different approach that's taken, which is, okay, fine. Actually the district, let's, let's reconstitute the district. Let's not, let's not, or let's not dissolve it come June, but let's install DeSantis Republican friendly members to the board that is the governing body of the district and have them have to approve everything, right? So DeS- that's that's the the new path that's taken. Is DeSantis is go- the legislature basically removes Disney's ability to appoint members to the board and shifts that power to DeSantis. And so then Disney says, okay, well, you haven't appointed these members yet. Um, before the the DeSantis members are installed, the board and Disney sign a new development agreement that effectively reduces the power of the of the board. <laughs> so the agree- agreement includes um, approvals that Disney would need to build like a new theme park and restricts the board's ability to make changes to Disney properties without Disney company approval. They basically take this protective measure to say, okay, fine, we now know we have are going to have a very unfriendly board. Well, the the while we still have the friendly board, Disney board, let's get together and let's just make this future board have zero power right right so so that happens and since then DeSantis has called for an investigation into like this new agreement calling it a self-dealing arrangement aimed to sidestep legislation and government oversight um he has reconstituted the board and has had them declare past actions like null and void and Disney's saying bring it on Disney files a lawsuit on April 28th in federal court alleging that the government has retaliated against them for their expression of first amendment rights and in so doing they have breached contracts they have violated Disney's constitutional rights including their first amendment right uh, their right to due process and uh, violated what's called the takings clause of the fifth amendment which which uh basically prevents the government from taking the property of a private individual without just compensation the board has sued in state court attacking the validity of the last minute kind of development agreement that reduced their power Mm -hmm. disney has since filed to dismiss that case saying that the majority of these issues are already covered in the federal lawsuit we can't have two lawsuits with the same parties looking at the same issues Right. And so that's where we are. Ooh, okay. That is <clears throat> quite messy. And I just want to recap to make sure <laughs> I fully understand here. So essentially, Disney responded to um, DeSantis saying, we're going to put install new members onto the board so that the board that oversees the district that Disney sits in can do what we want them to do, not what you want them to do. And in response, Mm -hmm. Disney said, nah, that's not what you're going to do. In fact, (laughs) we are going to vote as a board to strip all of the power away from this board so that when your new board members come in, you can't really touch us. Is that more or less? More or less. Yep, that's right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. All right. I think I've got it. Um, Okay, so should we turn to some speculation now? 
Yeah, and I guess the question is, how do we put these two things together, right? <laughs> it, it just seems like Disney is dealing, or even like three things, Disney's dealing with a lot, right? And how do we feel about, are they equipped to handle to handle all this? Yeah, you know, in terms of how we bring these subjects together, in some ways, I would say Disney, too, is in its find out era because <laughs> I I think, you know, Disney is obviously a humongous corporation with mm-hmm. just huge, huge amount of power. Um, you know, they own ABC, they own Marvel, they own ESPN, they own all of their theme parks, they have their own district in Florida. <laughs> in some ways, it feels a little bit like all of that power and sort of lack of corporate oversight is coming to bite them a little bit. Um, And I don't know if it's because they've done anything wrong. I just wonder if you can only operate unchecked for so long before it does sort of start to bite you in the ass. So if I think about like from a streaming perspective, Disney entered the streaming wars because everyone was entering the streaming wars. Mm -hmm. But I I think Disney has rested on its laurels a little bit and and mm. is now raising its prices again or threatening to raise its prices again in under a year because it understands, look, we've got the Marvel Universe. We know the Marvel folks aren't going anywhere. We've got our Disney Kingdom, you know, princess movies in our universe. We know the, the parents of children aren't going anywhere. And so we don't even necessarily have to innovate in order to justify raising prices on you guys. And I mean, in some ways, that's probably true. But I think in some ways for people like myself who don't fall into one of those two groups right now, um, that's not true. And I think that's why you are seeing subscribers start to fall off because no one likes being taken advantage of. If you are raising prices, but the product isn't getting any better, that feels like you're taking advantage of me. And not everyone's going to stand for that. And I think they're used to just sort of like getting away with it. And maybe mm-hmm. now they're not going to get away with it any longer. And even on the park side, obviously, when it comes to Disney versus Ron DeSantis, I am team Disney. However, <laughs> <laughs> I do think you could argue that having, I mean, essentially unchecked power over an entire swath of land um, in the United States feels potentially um potentially not quite right now i don't want that checks and balances to have to come from ron DeSantis, but should it maybe come from someplace i don't know i so it, it does feel like there's just like this tension of disney being such a ginormous force in corporate america in media um, in amusement parks and potentially some of that power being checked but that that's just my initial thought what about you on, you know, I'm, we're a Disney fan. Uh, mm-hmm. We just are. We mm-hmm. will keep, we will definitely keep Disney Plus. I We do have Hulu. I don't know why we still have Hulu. That would, might be one that we would drop. But um, we're a Marvel fan. We love Marvel, Marvel. And I cannot get Asher to stop watching Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. So, like, <laughs> honestly, Disney Plus should probably just write to us personally and, uh-huh. and tell us that they're going to charge us whatever their costs are uh, because we would pay it. I, on the one hand, I think we've said this before, you know, charge people what they're willing to pay. If they 
are are feeling like they actually haven't reached that optimized point and increasing mm-hmm. prices mm-hmm. is something that will will help like i i understand that um move and i do think they should operate from a position of strength knowing how how great some of their content and how loyal some of their fans are i just think in general, streaming should go to the advertisers more, right? Like advertisers are coming back. They want to be on the streaming services. And I feel like you're you're inev- inevitably going to make your margins better by raising prices on the advertisers more so than on the consumer side. Mm. That's an interesting take. Yeah, I feel like on the one hand, it definitely makes sense to me from a business perspective that you would rely more on ads. And it does sound like more of them are starting to do that. Yeah. Um, and in- introducing ad tiers where you pay a little bit less, but you have to watch the ads. And and that's good if people are willing to make that trade-off. As someone who typically is not willing to make that trade-off and yeah. very much relies on the streamers in order to avoid having to watch ads, Um it's like a tough pill for me to swallow to think that that might be what I need to do in order to like save a few bucks every month in my house. But at the same time, you know, there it's a trade-off and maybe it's a trade-off eventually I'll be able to make depending on how expensive these ad-free tiers become. And I think to your broader point, um, relying on advertising more just allows these companies to diversify their income streams um, which ultimately I think is smart. I'd agree with that. That is smart. Yeah. And you know why I also think it might be more tolerable to have the, to, you know, move towards the ad supported tiers is because I feel like I remember the days on cable TV when you would have commercial after commercial after commercial after commercial on these ad supported tiers. Like there's still only one or two. You know, it's like it's like a minute of commercials in between. Mm-hmm. And I, I think in comparison to what it used to be, like I can tolerate that, but maybe a future generation that is actually used to no commercials or right. a younger generation that's actually used to no commercials, like it, it, it's a painful kind of uh, regression. Now on the legal battle, ah, see, I actually feel like this, there's two big things here. One, it takes a lot of savvy to run a corporation that is as big and influential as Disney and liaise with the government. Mm-hmm. Like government regulatory affairs is important. Right. <laughs> and I just think this is true evidence that Bob Chapik didn't have what it took mm-hmm. <laughs> to do mm-hmm. that. And there yeah. are many leaders, you know, who who can run a public corporation that isn't either as either either as regulated or just doesn't have to have as much interaction. Um, although I guess maybe, I don't know, when you get to that size, maybe all you need this, you need this skill set, mm-hmm. um, no matter what. And I think he just really flubbed. I think he really flubbed on this and now he's paying the price, right? Because he could have spoken up with Marriott and American airlines. And what was, what was DeSantis going to do then go to war with him when, if he was, if Disney was joining all these other companies, maybe because of how prominently Disney figures in Florida, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't have been as much of a standout statement, right? Because Disney had to step out on their own and like go hard because of how little they had done publicly before. Right. And it just made them a target. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, certainly it doesn't sound like JPEG, doesn't seem like JPEG handled this well at all. Definitely should have spoken out earlier. What's 
so interesting to me is that DeSantis is willing to make an enemy of his state's largest employer. Mm -hmm. That, I have trouble believing that even the average members of his own party would be in support of that. You know, like, I don't know. You know, if they if they employ 80,000 people in Florida, some of them have to be Republicans. OK, <laughs> like some of them have got to be Republicans, especially given how many Republicans are in Florida. So I, I'm confused by this move. It feels very bullheaded. And I just don't know how this ends well for DeSantis. I agree. I, I think there are a number of moves here that are a little confusing. Um or a number of factors that make the overall war against Disney a little confusing. And Disney's using that in all of their arguments um, because they're saying like, DeSantis, this is so anti-business and like, you're the party of pro-business. Right. Um, what do you, you know, what are you doing? You're attacking the largest employer. You are interfering with contracts. Like we, they are not by any means the only special exempt um district there are other districts in florida maybe they're not the size of disney and no universal studios doesn't have the same special exempt tax status but there are other districts that operate this way and for a reason right it's normally republicans who want to give all the tax cuts to to corporations Mm -hmm. on top of that also it's normally republicans who are very pro preservation of free speech rights for corporations right Mm -hmm. like the whole reason why we have massive donations from corporations in this country to political candidates and why we permit that and why we permit it to be a bit obscured is because the conservatives in this country have decided that that is important to them and there's case law that protects it right like it doesn't it is not a given that corporations should be treated like persons right with first amendment rights that is not a given that is an interpretation of law and it is one that normally republicans support and all of the actions that DeSantis has taken are in in Disney's um, position, or according to Disney's position, they are in retaliation of Disney, a company exercising their First Amendment rights. So there are just a number of like confusing, somewhat contradictory positions that DeSantis is taking, and I think he's doing it because he is he does have to make some very bullish moves in a year when. That's like leading up to an election year, right? Like that's what I feel. This is what this feels like, right? Like mm-hmm. he's trying to make a national name for himself mm-hmm. with all of these moves. Did you know right. that DeSantis got married in Disney World? No, I did not know that. He did. Hmm. He He's dressed up as a little prince. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if it's a prince or like a cadet or something, but there are pictures. He got married in Disney World. Now he's going to war with his wedding venue. <laughs> wow. So I have to ask, because even though this has come up for years and years, I feel like at this point, particularly since the 2016 election, it seems like Disney maybe got this wrong. When should companies take a stand on social issues? Yeah, I ooh, I think my answer is probably going to be different from the typical CEOs. Yeah. Because I am of the opinion companies should always take a stand on social political issues. If if you care about what's happening in society, which presumably you do. <laughs> um, so I've never been shy about voicing my opinions on a number of issues. Um, and I remember 
when in 2020, when, you know, we were all in the thick of the Black Lives Matter movement and everything was happening with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, um, I sent out an email to our whole list, um, you know, just hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people and basically said, you know, in this moment, I don't feel like selling lipstick. I'm gutted by this. And I want you to know that even though it's my job to sell lipstick, I'm doing everything that I can think to do as leader of this company to <clears throat> participate in this fight and to stand um, on the side of hist- on the right side of history. Um, and so, you know, I mentioned we we as a company decided to donate all of our proceeds for a particular product in the month of June of that year to bail funds, to bail protesters out of jail in um, a number of cities, including New York. And I remember I got a couple of responses back from people essentially saying, you know, why are you doing this? Um, mm. This isn't really, you know, your place. I come to Minted for makeup, not politics. Um, I didn't get a ton of that, but I did get some of that because we posted it not just to our email list, but on social as well. And like, when I tell you that did not bother me, not even a little bit, if you, if you were a minted customer and our decision made you decide not to be a minted customer, I mean, sorry to say, but good riddance, right? I, I don't, I just don't have any tolerance for that. So my opinion, again, I, you know, it's probably why I'm the leader of a private company and, and not a public company. <laughs> uh, but my opinion is like, companies exist in society. So companies should speak up on societal issues. Um, our customers are affected by the things that these politicians are doing. So to not speak up, I think, is a real slap in the face to your customers, which is what it seems like a lot of people were saying to Disney. So that's that's my take. I, I do understand that because my company is small and not public, I probably have the liberty to be a bit more vocal about these things than others. But that's my perspective. What's yours? Okay. So there's a framework um, in a Harvard Business Review article from a couple uh, years ago that says you should look at three things. One, does the issue align with your company's strategy? Meaning, is it kind of core to your company's mission and values as you've stated them, right? Mm-hmm. Two, can you meaningfully influence the issue, right? If you came out and were vocal about it, would it make a difference? And three, Will your constituencies agree with you speaking out? So, you know, a place like Disney, I think it's a little harder because it's everyone's happy place, Uh you know, not just Uh people on one side of the aisle or the other. But, you know, can you discern whether it would, you know, if you spoke out, it would align with most of your customers? I always like a framework. I do think there's a difficulty in this framework, um, which is that particularly when government institutions fail, we need many people joining in, even if they feel like they individually as a company can't influence the issue. Companies speaking out more, even if it isn't a huge percentage of their customer base, if it truly is like a violation of social rights, right? Like I wish more companies are speaking out about anti-Semitism right now in the United States. Like, mm-hmm. is that ever going to be a massive percentage of people's customers? No, because there aren't that many of us anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I do wish it that that were the case. But I do think it is easier for a startup private company, especially one that is kind of mission oriented, 
um, as opposed to a large public corporation. Of course, the counterpoint is the large public corporation can more meaningfully influence the issue than a small private company. Yeah. And, you know, you have you do have to think about your fiduciary duty. I mean, I know we've all Mm -hmm. probably seen Bud Light in their recent campaign Mm -hmm. with um, Dylan Mulvaney. Is that her name? Mm -hmm. Um, Yep. Yep. The transgender woman who, you know, she's huge on TikTok and they did a campaign with her, a commercial with her supporting trans rights um, and LGBT rights. And my understanding is now, I think it depends on what you read and what time frame you look at, but my understanding is, you know, that company sort of took a hit from both a sales perspective and potentially even a stock market perspective after they launched mm-hmm. that campaign. And, you know, when you think about your fiduciary duty to your shareholders as a CEO, um, if you felt reasonably sure that taking a stand would anger your base in such a way to hurt your company's top line and um, market share, then I think that is kind of complicated, right? Um, right. So while I, 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 I feel very strongly about my beliefs and very passionate about my beliefs, again, I do run a startup, and I, and I, and I imagine I would have to think about it differently if I were in a different seat. Yeah. That's a really great point. I do think ultimately CEOs need to be proactive on this though. You know, mm-hmm. like you mm-hmm. can't wait for a groundswell of your customers who are supporters to to be pissed. <laughs> right? Cuz right. then you're you're going to step in and act to appease them, but like you've already pissed them off. And now the people who are your customers who disagree with the position you're taking are going to be pissed off too. So like no one's happy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, for sure. The way Disney handled it was definitely the yeah. the wrong way. Like to the extent there is a wrong way, they did it the wrong way. Because it's like if you are going to speak out, waiting until the absolute last minute after the bill has literally been signed into law. Right. Uh, okay. So <laughs> so now who are you helping when you had many, many months to to stand up and say something? And like you said, not only are you not helping, but now you're angering the people who – it sounds like you were trying to appease this whole time by not speaking out. Right. So, um, yeah, they definitely did it the wrong way. Uh, but I do think – I think the framework you laid out is helpful, but I agree that the problem with that framework is the condition that your company be able to make a difference. You know, mm-hmm. one person, one company speaking up on a particular thing might not make a difference. That's not a good enough reason in my mind not to do it. I agree. Okay, so we've looked at this issue left, right, and center. What is your verdict on Disney and its various battles? Well, yeah, I will say I don't know that I'm team Disney the way uh, you and and Thomas are, (laughs) but I am anti-Ron DeSantis. And (laughs) And so I am very much hoping that he loses and that Disney is the victor in that particular battle. And as it relates to streaming, I just hope that they make decisions that are customer-centric, which is what you hope for any business, that you keep your core customer in mind um, and then, you know, lead from there. I guess that's that's what I'm hoping for them. What about you? Yeah, I would say on the streaming front, it's too good of a product for all of these companies to not be able to figure it out. Figure it out, please. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> ideally not with raising prices tremendously but just just figure it out um because the content 
that I'm getting on, on all these services is good. Um, I don't want to pay astronomical prices for it, but it's good. So figure it out. And um, on the legal front, I mean, it's going to be such a long battle. Whoever wins the federal court case, the loser is definitely going to appeal. It's it's going to be long, but there are a lot of interesting issues um, from a constitutional perspective um, that I'm excited to see play out. And um, I would agree that I am generally anti-Ron DeSantis and and all of the posturing that seems to be done in a year before a presidential election. Like, this just seems wholly unnecessary, and I don't like that it's spilling into a company's dealings that otherwise does create a lot of joy in the world for people. Like, just leave them alone. <laughs> so I hope Disney comes out the victor. There you have it. Okay, it's time for Judge and Jury. And if you recall, in a very early episode, we talked about the Yeezy line. And this week, we are talking about Adidas' recent decision announced last week that they will, after all, sell Yeezy merchandise that has kind of just been sitting there, and they're going to donate money to organizations that have been hurt by Yeezy's statements, although they didn't necessarily outline exactly which organizations. Um, Adidas is set to lose $1.3 billion in revenue because, um, you know, of its inability to sell the merchandise, so this seems to be a way to mitigate that loss. What do you think, good or bad judgment on Adidas' part announcing this? I think because they were very careful to say we are going to sell it and then donate to the organizations hurt by Yeezy statements, I think you can qualify this as good judgment. I hesitate to say that because obviously all of the remarks, the racist, bigoted, anti-Semitic remarks that Kanye West has said um, are not only terrible, but in my mind you know, should relegate his merchandise to, you know, the ether, you know, like I don't, I don't think it should continue to be sold. However, I also understand the idea of corporate waste. We're talking about millions of dollars of product that they're just sitting on. And the um, alternative that they were considering was to essentially burn it, which is what happens to a lot of fast fashion, by the way, right? Mm. Um, ends up in landfill, fills, ends up burned. Um, and I I can understand them not wanting to take that path. So, and and then, yeah, there's obviously the revenue loss. And, and I don't know, I don't know if they said they're going to donate all the money from sales. No, 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 I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't, don't think so. No, I think they're, they're not they're donating just, <laughs> all right. um, So, you know, I, I think they have found a good way out of a, a prickly situation and so I guess I am prepared to call it good judgment. What about you? Yeah, I think the piece that's hard to stomach is presumably Yeezy will make some money from these sales as well. I mean, I'd have to imagine, you know, you're the lawyer, but I'd have to imagine there's some sort of carve-out clause right. in their contract mm-hmm. for acting in bad faith or being fired for cause or I don't know. Right, like I guess if the contract has been terminated, then does Yeezy have any rights to the profits at this point. I'm not sure. Yeah. But if I think they, if they do, that's the part that would be hard to stomach. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I guess agree. the but I guess the counterpoint or the mitigant is that all right, well now we're gonna compensate for his enrichment by providing to 
to other organizations that are in the exact opposite position. I, I will say it's okay judgment. Okay judgment. All right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. All right, folks, that is it for this week. As always, we hope you are loving the show. And if you are, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. And be sure to follow us on social. I'm Danny underscore D underscore MC on TikTok. And KJ is I am underscore KJ Miller. Thanks, everyone.